Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated, and uh, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today. Hebrews is, is close to the end of, uh, of the Bible, so you can kind of start from the back and, and move towards the front if you want. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be. It's going to take us just a minute to get there, though, because I want to give us a little bit of background before we talk about um, what we're going to be really deeply uh, involved in in Hebrews 12. Okay, so background on the book of Hebrews. No one knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's most likely not Paul, but it could have been Barnabas or Apollos or a few others. For our purposes today, that's not too important. Here's what we do know. The author of Hebrews is a pastor who's writing to a group of Christians who are growing discouraged in their life in Christ. He's writing to encourage them to keep the faith. Some, some people actually think this was a sermon first that was then written into, uh, into a letter. But when, when the author of Hebrews is encouraging and writing to encourage, it's, it's not really sappy, sort of fluffy encouragement, right? Like he, he doesn't send them cat memes where the cat is hanging off a rope and it says, hang in there, right? Like that's, that's not what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's He's pretty honest. It's not all nicety and softness. He says things like, like this. In, uh, in chapter 2, he, he warns the people. He says, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Right, so he's challenging them, challenging them, saying, we've heard the gospel, we've heard the truth, and, and we got to step up our game in listening and, uh, and, uh, and in wrapping our minds around the truth of the scripture so that we don't accidentally drift away. Then he says this in chapter 5. About this, we have, we have much more to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Right, so then he goes on in chapter 6, and he, he encourages them, he cautions them about neglecting to live their lives in response to the gospel that they have heard. He uses a metaphor of the gospel being rain and the people being like the land. He says, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. You're thinking right now, the author of Hebrews is not very good at this encouraging thing, right? <laughs> this exhortation, maybe, but encouraging? I, I don't know. But the author of Hebrews is, is a special kind of friend and mentor. The kind of friend and mentor who, just, who does not just tell you what you want to hear or the nice, encouraging things. He's the kind of friend who tells it to you straight. Right? I, I like blunt people. 
If you're an Enneagram person, I'm an Enneagram 8, right? Like, like just talk to me, right? Tell me, tell me what you got. We don't have to lead into it. We don't have to beat around the bridge. Like, let's just go. Let's talk. I want to I wanna do that. Now, uh, so, so I enjoy talking with blunt people. Now, there's a difference. This is, this is a caveat, okay? There's a difference between being a blunt person and a jerk, okay? That's a different sermon for a different day of speaking the truth and love and being, being straight forward is not uh, an excuse to being um, cranky. Okay, but anyway, um, but so, so the, the author of Hebrews uh, is, uh, is a pretty straight talker, and he has, he's given warnings. He's like, this is the reality, friends, of you are the church, and you've heard these great things, and this story of God becoming one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, of, and that has lived a sinless life and died for all of us so that no more must die, and now he is enthroned upon high, and when one day all things will be in subjection under his rule. Like, these are, these are all very serious truths that come with a responsibility um, that, says, uh, that says we are to live in light of that. And we need to take that seriously and that there are repercussions if we don't, right? And he's like, guys, this is a big deal. Let's not just kind of slop into our faith. But he says this. Further on in verse 6, he goes, though we speak in this way, this way of responsibilities and repercussions, and he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And so he's challenging uh, to, to live in light of this glorious gospel, and he's encouraging and saying, we feel, we feel like we see these things in you. He goes on, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. So he says, God sees the work that you're doing. God sees how you're serving in his name. He, he sees that. And he sees how you're loving one another. He says, serving the saints, right? He says, he sees how you are loving one another. And he is not unjust to overlook that, but that he sees you. He's saying, yes, life as a Christian can be difficult, and yes, we have responsibilities. And yes, there is danger out there. And yes, there are many things that can deceive us. And yes, it seems like the darkness is winning. And no, as the church, us, we are not always doing everything right all the time because the church isn't perfect in any way. But then he says this, but here is the hope. In chapter 6, verse 11, he says, and we desire so this is, he said, this is our desire for you. This pastor writing to his church um, and to this group of Christians, this is his desire for them. He says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So this earnestness, he's saying when you came to know Jesus, there was this initial passion and eagerness to know him and to serve him, and, uh, and he seems so present, and, and that, that can drift if we're not careful. And he says, I want you to have that same earnestness, that same place in your walk with Christ, and to have a full assurance of hope. He's not writing this letter to condemn. He's saying, let's talk about the reality of the Christian life, and it's hard. It's hard. And it's hard to live in this world that we live in as well that is in opposition to the way that we are called to see things as Christians and to live as Christians. And it's difficult. And he says, I'm writing this to you so that you will have the same earnestness so that 
This is chapter 6, verse 12. So that you may not be sluggish. You don't, I don't have to slow down. I don't have to feel like, oh, I'm just overburdened and, and beaten down. But rather to be imitators of those who through faith and patience and th- through faith and patience inherit the promises. So what he's saying is, I want, you to, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel and the promises of the coming of Christ and his return and his renewal of all things and that he is making all things new and that what is bent and broken now will be mended and that you are a part of that even now and even though it seems like it is so difficult, I want you to have the full assurance of hope so that you will not be sluggish and beaten down. His desire as a pastor is the same as that of any good pastor. And this is the message that I hope that we hear today as well. I have the honor and the joy and the burden and the responsibility of being your pastor. And I want to encourage you today simply in this. Keep the faith. Persevere. Continue. This is how the author of Hebrews sums it up. He says, therefore, I'm just going to read this whole passage because it's so powerful. Therefore, this is chapter 12 now if you're following along. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's describing the Christian life using the metaphor of a race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, he says in verse 1. So it's not just any race, it's an endurance race whose path has been set out by God himself. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God is, has set this before us. God has set the path and that we are to run it with endurance. The race of pursuing holiness, of serving Jesus, of resisting sin, of chasing justice for the entire length of our lives, of serving the purposes of Jesus, of of combating sin, warring against it, as the scripture tells us, and pursuing the righteousness of God. We are saved not by our merit and by our works. We are saved by grace fully, but we are called to a life of participation then with Christ in an endurance race. This is the picture of the Christian life that the author of Hebrews is setting in front of us, an endurance race. I'm a runner, When I strap on my shoes, I can feel what I can only really describe as freedom. I'm kidding. I'm not a runner in any way. Um, Like, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. My my ancestors were Vikings. We rode and carried big axes. That's what we did. Um, I I really, I... um, I feel sentiment and connection with Gimli the dwarf who says, I'm wasted on cross country. We dwarves are natural sprinters. Very dangerous over short distances, right? Like that's, that's, how, that's, that's how I'm built. I'm not a runner. In fact, I'll be honest, I hate running. People talk about the euphoria of running and I don't get it. 
I don't get it. My joints hurt. My lungs burn. It's kind of boring. It's sweaty. It's chafing. Like, it's not good. Apparently, I'm not really cut out for running either mentally or physically. But I know people who are runners, and I secretly admire them. I wish I was a runner. I have a friend who runs ultra marathons, 100 miles in a 24-hour period. I, he loves it. I've seen pics of, pictures of his feet afterwards with like his skin falling off because he's run so far. And honestly, it inspires me to binge watch The Witcher and take a nap, right? Like that's what, that's what I get. His feet are falling apart. This is not an okay thing. So here's the thing. In order to run a race like that, to run an ultra marathon, 100 miles in a 24-hour period, in order to, to run that race, the race has to be worth it. You got to get up early. You got to buy the equipment. You got to endure the pain. You got to train your body. You don't, just, you don't just get up and run for 24 hours, right? I mean, you've got to work up to that. And Hebrews tells us that the Christian life is an endurance race, and it's worth it. He says it's worth it. Verse 2, in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So when we look at the greatest endurance runner in spiritual history, it's Jesus. And what he endured was the cross itself, the agony of the cross, the beatings and the whippings before, it, before carrying the cross, being nailed to it and lifted and slowly dying. But even greater than that was that upon his shoulders was the sin of all time, of every human that has ever lived before or ever lived afterwards on his shoulders. And he endured all of it. And Hebrews here is telling us, look to Jesus who endured all that as you endure in this life as a Christian. And why did Jesus do all that? For the joy that was set before him. He's now, after enduring all of that, seated at the right hand of God. He says, the promises of God are real. We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. He is making all things new. We are participating with him in that now. That's the race that we run. And the finish line is a finish line of glory and a finish line of paradise and a finish line of being in the presence of the beautiful, loving, pure God that we serve. There's a finish line that is great and glorious, and the race is worth it when we see what is to come, and that our efforts now as Christians in this life of knowing God and serving God are moving all of history towards that end. The race is hard, but the race is worth it for the joy that is set before us, for us ourselves being in the presence of God, as our liturgy says, we will see him face to face and also for what God is doing to this world. When we look around with despair, we can say the race is worth it because this, Jesus, and his gospel and his truth is what heals all of this. So it's worth it to run this race. But, to run a race also takes not only a race that's worth it, but to run takes 
preparation. You don't accidentally become a runner unless you're like at the zoo and a tiger escapes, right? But again, we're back to sprinting now, which seems much more godly. But so you, so you, have, to, you have to prepare if you're going to be a runner, an ultra marathon runner, a 5K runner, right? You, you, have to, you have to ready yourselves for it. And the author of Hebrews that's using this metaphor keeps it up. He says, our preparation is to look to Jesus, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to turn to him. We have nothing if we don't have the person of Jesus and his work on the cross. That to look to him for inspiration, yes, but something more than just simply inspiration. For he's the author of our faith, the one that gives us the faith to run, and the perfecter of our faith. He's still at work in us as we are running. He is the one who is, uh, who is uh, the one that we call upon to bring about the transformation and change and strength and endurance that we need. The author and perfecter of our faith. He gave it to us and he is growing it in us. I had a friend who recently said this to me. He said, Dan, we need to talk more about the theological importance of our belly buttons. And I was like, you're going to need to explain that statement. Um, And he said, here's the thing. We were created. We didn't do that on our own. We We didn't decide we were going to be created. That we have an author and a perfecter. We are a created being. Our very lives are dependent upon the power and the move of God who intentionally has created us. And we carry a little hole in our belly right in front of us all the time to remind us that we are created. That there's a power that is greater and bigger than us at work. And every time that we try to endure on our own, every time that we think we can, that we can carry this by ourselves, or that we are the ones who have to understand all truth and figure it all out for ourselves, let's just put our finger in our belly button and go, something else had to create me. Something else has to sustain me. The God who is in charge of all of this. So we have to look to the author and perfecter of our faith. That's our our preparation. And the way that we do that is first in faith. We We have to choose to believe in the truth of God. And here's the thing. We might not understand all of it. It might not all make sense. In fact, some of it we might wish was a different way because of our limited understanding of how things actually work. We have to come to a place of choosing by faith that this is true. And that doesn't mean that we don't think. That doesn't mean that we don't have conversations. That's not what that means. Our faith can can stand scrutiny. But when it comes down to the basics of who we are, do we trust the person of Jesus or do we not? Like that, that, that is the question. Was did he die for the sins of the world and was resurrected? And if so, do we trust in Jesus? Him. So our preparation for this run of faith is, is to have faith in the author and perfecter of our faith. And then Hebrews tells us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the Greeks, when they would participate in running and athletic events, they would do it naked. 
right? Because, if, because they were getting rid of any kind of weight that they didn't need to have or anything that could restrict and bind them, they were getting rid of that. And clearly Hebrews is, is referencing this. And he's saying we can, we can put things on that wrap us, that wrap us up. If you're going to run 100 miles in 24 hours, you're thinking, what is the lightest everything that I can wear, Right? And so he's saying here, Hebrews is saying here, that, that the things that keep us from being able to run with endurance is the, the sin that so easily entangles, is the way the NIV uh, uh, translates this. The sin that so easily entangles, or the sin which clings so closely. It's resistance. Running 100 miles naked would be hard enough. Running with resistance and restriction would be impossible. And so there's an effort in us that says if this race is worth it, this race of following Jesus, of, of serving him, of loving one another, of, of, of redeeming the world in, in partnership with him, if this race is worth it and it depends on us holding fast to the truth that there, there are things that we need to set aside, we are going to be called to live differently. If you want to be an ultra marathoner, you're going to have to live differently. You have to make some choices. Sin promises pleasure, but in reality is weight that keeps us from joy. And if we live, we recognize that a world, the world that we live in does not understand the truth of what is righteous and what is sinful in the way that the Lord has revealed them. We have to choose to live differently from the world in lots of different ways, in our understanding of ideologies and, and political philosophies and theologies, yes, but even in our just simple practice. For example, one of the ways that we look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith is, well, we need, to, we need to get to know him. We need to read his words. We need to see what God has said. If we believe that in my hands right now is the revealed word of God, where God has revealed himself to us, where is truth? It is here. This is where it is. Wouldn't it be really smart of us to read it? Right? Like to really know what does it say. If all of the ways that we think should be based upon it, we should be in it and, uh, and spend time in these words. And that Hebrews actually says that this, that this document, this book, is living and active. That God is actually working in it to both author our faith or found our faith and to strengthen our faith and perfect our faith. But, and here's what it comes down to when we go, yeah, I know, I know, I should pray more, I should read my Bible more, I know, I know, I know, um, but I'm just so busy. And I, I mean, here's the thing. Like, one, our gospel is not a gospel of shame, right, where God is just going, you'd be better if you just read your Bible more. That's not what he's saying. But he's inviting you to know him. And when we say, if we're just honest, like the author of Hebrews is honest with us, right, when we say we don't have any time, it's just that we're choosing other things. Hey, we're dishonest, right? Like here, here's a simple example of, as Christians, we should understand technology differently than other people. The, the average person, according to recent statistics, the average person spends three hours and 15 minutes on their phone each day. And one in five smartphone users spends upwards of 4.5 hours on average on their phone each day. And that goes up the younger the generation, more and more hours every single day. What are we being discipled by? What are we being trained by? What are we being shaped by? What is authoring and perfecting us into a particular image? 
the thing that we're spending all the time with. And what if you're in a doctor's office, and instead of sitting in a doctor's office knowing you're going to have to wait, and the first thing that we reach for is distraction, what if we learned how to pray for 20 minutes in a doctor's office? What if we, what if we since you might not have your Bible with you all the time, um, although you do because it's on your phone, um, that um, what if you actually memorized some scripture that if you, can't, if you can't read new scripture in that place, if the Gideons hadn't quite made it by that doctor's office yet, right? Um, and uh, uh, if you don't have the book in front of you, what if you had memorized scripture that you could, that you could recite in your head and ponder these things? Little things in uh, in. 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, five minutes here. How do we, how do we use our time driving for, uh, for this end? How do, we, how do we do that? Right? We have the time. We just have to decide if it's worth it. And so, and so when we go, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you again. The reason that I don't do that because that sounds much less fun than Candy Crush. Right, like, like uh, much. I'd, I'd kind of rather play Angry Birds for twenty minutes. That seems much more exciting. But this is this is exactly what Hebrews is telling us. No, no, no. There's a race we've got to be on it, and we are being deceived by other things that says there's there's a better joy, a better way of being. Be distracted. Don't really engage. Don't be so serious. Don't you don't have to do all of these things. Just be distracted over on the other side. And the author of Hebrews is saying we need to listen more closely closely to what we have heard, lest we drift away, right? That, that oftentimes when we find our, ourselves in a, in a crisis of faith or in a crisis of belief or in a place of feeling very isolated, if we just turn around and look backwards, we realize it hasn't necessarily been a yesterday I was a faithful Christian and today I'm really, really struggling in so many ways. It's been a slow drift. And Hebrews is saying, no, no, come back. Let's wake up. Let's live this life together in this. So you're going to have to, you're going to, have to live differently to run this endurance race. And that means giving up some of the pleasures of this world. If you're going to run an ultra marathon, you can't eat a lot of donuts. Right? Like you just can't, you can't, do, you can't do both. So if you say, I want to run an ultra marathon, that's more important than the donuts are. And so for us, things like, as Christians, we're going to be generous. And that doesn't come without sacrifice. Giving of our time and our money hurts. And what a different way of seeing the why we have the money and time that we have is for the blessing of others rather than amassing stuff for ourselves, right? That's a different way of thinking and a different way of living that's going to bring about a different way of running in this life. Humility doesn't come without insult. Trying to do the right thing doesn't come without scorn. You have to give up your vengeance. You have to give up your retribution. You have to give up your ability to just pop off in anger anytime you so feel like it. You got to give it up for something better. And Hebrews is going, oh, it's worth it. Look to the author and perfecter of your faith. But it's hard, isn't it? And all this hard. Like, this is what Hebrews is saying. The Christian life is hard. There's deceitful theologies and ideologies out there. There's, there's reports of doom in the church that, that the media wants to make it sound like every Christian is going to dry up in the next 20 years, right? We're about to enter into a very difficult election cycle. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Nobody's like, whoo, really excited about what we're going to go through next year, right? This is going to be hard for us as a people and as a country. 
We, we hear about wildfires. We, anxiety as an all-time high. Are we, are we going into a recession? What about inflation? There's confusion over gender and identity and who are we and what are we and why are we here and why are we all so angry in the process? Right? We're, this is the place that we're in and Hebrews is going, run the race, stay the course, persevere, don't drift. The world is at stake. And see, here's where, when we look at all of the contemporary issues that we have going around us today, this is why this passage in Hebrews is so very important, because the same kind of things that we're dealing with today were happening when the author of Hebrews wrote this letter 2,000 years ago to the people of his church. You want to think there's political unrest now? He wrote during the time of Nero. Right? Like Nero killed his mother, who was also his part-time lover, divorced his wife, exiled her, then executed her, but faked it so it looked like a suicide. But people figured it out anyway, and they liked her, so some of his servants poisoned him. Meanwhile, Christians are being tortured to death for sport, and half the city of Rome catches on fire and burns down over the course of this time. And there's significant confusion about sexual ethic during the Roman period as well. Like all of this is happening when the author of Hebrews is writing all of this and it parallels so much exactly what we are experiencing now because as Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. And so Hebrews is saying, look backwards to see all the people who just like you are trying to endure, trying to hold fast, trying to remain faithful and see that some of them have done it. They've done it and they've received their reward so that you can be inspired and say, don't be overwhelmed. Hold fast. Run with endurance the race. So this pastor is saying to his people, as I am saying to you this morning, stop for a moment. First, look backwards. He says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's what he says at the beginning of chapter 12 there. A great cloud of witnesses. And this cloud is made up of two different groups of people. One, those who have gone before. Just in the chapter before this, he's gone through a whole list of people who have had big failures and big victories in the Lord. You can go read Hebrews chapter 11 sometimes. And so he's saying these people are now have received the reward for their, their life. They've crossed that finish line. Jesus endured the cross. Now he's seated at the right hand of God. Those people surround us. They are still present with us. But this image of the, the running the race and that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, this is a picture of an arena. There's a track in the middle and that there's an arena full of people around the outside rooting you on in your life and faith. Those who have gone before us who now know that the promises are true because they're experiencing them and the people to your right and to your left and in front and behind you in this place who are encouraging you along the way. Those people, that's why the church is not an option for us as Christians. It's essential to us to be entwined in one another's lives in deep and powerful ways, as the author of Hebrews says, to encourage one another on towards love and good works. That's why that we're together. We need these friends. Look, our senior lay leader of our church, Will Stanley, has talked me off the ledge so many times. 
right? When I've had particularly hard days of, of, uh, of dealing with difficulties within the church or in my own life as well, and I call him up and I go, all right, well, today's a day. Like, it's finally happened. Too much. Too much. Like, I, I just can't. I can't do it anymore. I, I'm on the red phone. I press the red button, whatever. Whatever ejects me out of this, I'm out. Like, I'm out. you know what I want to do? I want to I wanna, I wanna be a roofer. That's what I want to do. Like, I, I, I want much less responsibility, and I don't want all of these deep spiritual things all around. And, I, and there's burdens, and there's people complaining about things, and they, but they're complaining about opposite things, and so, but they both think that I'm the problem, and so I just want to get them together so they can fight each other, right? And I'm like, Will, I'm out. And he goes, okay, just, I'll just come over. We'll have a glass of bourbon together. And I'm just going to back you up a little bit, right? By the time he leaves, I go, okay. All right, we can do this together. We're going to endure we're going to do it. We all, all have days like that. And we need the people around us in the church to help us go, hey, you get, you're normal. Remember your belly button. You were created and we're together in this work. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So friends, the Christian life is a race of endurance. It's hard. There are enemies. There are dangers. There are, there, are, there are many things that want to make us, push us off the path. But I just want to join my voice with that of the author of Hebrews when he says this. Do not become weary. Do not lose heart. Do not become weary. Do not be faint-hearted. Hear what Paul tells Timothy shortly before his death. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May that be our final words as well. When we breathe our last breath, May these be the syllables that are on our lips. And when you feel in that moment discouraged or when you feel like you're overwhelmed or it feels like a losing battle or it feels like the darkness is closing in, hear the words of the scripture that says the light has shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Hear the words of the scripture that says Jesus has overcome the world. Remember the words of the scripture that says that the very gates of hell will not prevail against the advancing work of the church. Do not become weary. Do not lose heart. Consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Lean on those who are around you as well. And one day, we'll sit at the finish line with a glass of wine at a table where we shall see our Lord face to face. And we will all agree, it was worth it. Pray with me. Lord, we couldn't manufacture our own fate. We couldn't manufacture our own life. Neither can we endure in this life or in faith without you. Give us a hunger for you, a desire for you, a, a deep awareness of your presence and your love for us. Let us know when, when we beat ourselves up or, or others beat us up as well. Let us turn to you and for your grace and to know your pleasure and that you are looking upon us as we do your work and we love one another. Let us, let us be deep friends. 
Let us, have, let us live lives of intentionality and purpose alongside one another. Let us not be angry at the world, but let us be full of compassion and truth. And let us have the full assurance of hope to the end that you are victorious. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room that you will not let us lose heart, that you will not let us grow weary or faint, but that we will know the joy that is set before us and the presence of our Lord and Savior with us. Encourage our hearts, Lord. And for those who are in this room who may not yet know you, let them be intrigued by you. Why would a people decide to run a race like this? What is so intriguing about the person and work of Jesus that these people would dedicate their lives in this way and move them to a place of repentance and belief and love to bring them into the family to run alongside of us as well? We look to you, Lord, who who for the joy set before you endured the cross, and we worship you. May we follow in your example by your help and grace. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.